everybody, thanks again for checking us out. I want to cover a subject that's clearly needed globally all the time, certainly in the church. Uh, Jesus taught around this truth, uh, and I think it's for a real reason, is that we can work out things as we kind of function in what it is God has for us. I think it's not in reaction in any way to what's happening in the world, but clearly there's a biblical way of handling issues, handling situations, and dealing with relationships and regulating right relationships. And so I want to just take us back to the simplicity of what Jesus taught. I think there's some ways we can handle things better, certainly in the church, uh, when we are connecting or when we are maybe disagreeing with one another. Uh, what does the Bible teach us about that? And how do we handle that stuff? And, and if we could just come back to some of these truths, I think we can stay strong regardless of what it is we face. You know, we, we quote things like today and we see it more and more, you know, that a world is too strong for a divided church. We talk about how God uh, commands blessing, Psalm 133, where there is unity. There's all these truths about unity and we know that we, we've got to stay united and we've got to stay connected. But, but how do we actually do that? And I, again, friends, not by just experience, but from Scripture, there is ways that Jesus shows us that we need to attend to and just get back to it. So I want to just take a few moments around that and help us, hopefully, from Scripture as we go forward into all that God has, that we can stay united, we can agree to disagree and all those things, but we can actually be united around relationship and understanding those things. I do believe that our revelation of Jesus determines everything about us here on earth. How we see Him actually changes how we see everything, but also everyone else. So we can get to some truth in a moment, but if we have a distorted view of Jesus, we're going to have a distorted view of others. If we're looking to others to do things we want God to do for us, we're going to live in this place of unmet expectations. So I want to just come back and say that the only way we can truly function and truly uh, be connected relationally and uni unified around reality is when we come back to the revelation of Jesus, all submitted to Him. All surrendered to Him and how we see Him determines how we see others. I love the book of Revelation. I know everyone's preaching around Revelation 19 verse 7 where it talks about how the bride has made herself ready. Uh, this wedding feast and the celebration. But it's the bride has made herself ready. and we, We've got to keep focusing on that picture because friends, I think it helps us in our uh, working through relational things. That we're readying ourselves for the one, for Jesus. And we're going to be together and we're going to keep our eyes on that end result, as it were, and on that major celebration. Um, and we've matured. We've readied ourselves. And I think part of uh, relational issues and conflict is learning to mature and grow up together and grow up in the things of God. I also love the picture of the army of the church. I love that we're a bride of Christ, but the church is also the army. And, you know, if you're in an army and you're in a battle, you understand that every person is needed for that fight. And, and I, if you talk to people who are in military or served in the military, they'll tell you, certainly in war, they don't care who's next to them as long as they're on their side and they're doing this thing together. And so I think it does help us even in working our relational stuff out is that, that we, we, we understand there's a battle here and we're in the army. We're the army to, of God. We don't want to take out people and we don't want these, these uh, casualties happening within our ranks and within the church because we haven't thought this through. So think about the bride making herself ready. Think about the army of God. We are together. We're on this battle. We have the same enemy and we're not the enemy. And people aren't the enemy. It's the principalities and powers. We, our, the Bible says our battle's not against flesh and blood. I wish we knew that. We're fighting each other and fighting people rather than as, as principalities and powers behind. So we're an army and we're the bride. And I love that. I also love that we're a family. 
And you know, friends, the reality is that families work stuff out. Friends, they can agree to disagree, walk away. And I love it that I choose my friends. It's awesome that I get to choose. And you generally choose people that are like you, who agree with you, and you connect together, and it's easy. But when you're in a family, you, you don't choose your family. You're born into a family. When you're born into a family, you're born with other siblings and parents that perhaps you wouldn't have chosen, but they are who've been chosen for you. And there's a reason to that. I'm convinced that God puts us in families with people around us who are not like us to help us grow up. If we see this thing as a friendship thing alone, I don't like you anymore. We're mad at each other. See you later. I'm out of here. But if we see it as a family, God puts us with people who are not like us. And the reason is to help us sort our stuff out. So see the church as this bride readying herself. See the church as this army in a battle together, not fighting each other, fighting a common cause, fighting a, an enemy that's not each other, the need for one another, but also a family where we are different and God puts us with different people who disagree and don't see things the same. And, but he puts us together to grow up and to learn from each other and not be irritated and offended, but growing up. So they're helping us grow up in this family. My brothers helped me grow up. My, my, my parents helped me grow up by being different to me and by rubbing me up at the wrong way sometimes, but actually helping me grow up. My children, I watch them, my sons, they're different to each other. They're in a family and they're helping each other grow up. That's what I believe is part of this picture of the family. So don't forget that. Don't, don't think this is God against you because you're facing challenges. It's God helping us grow up and he's got this and it's, it's normal and it happens in a family. Why do we think it can't happen in the church? And so my dad used to always preach to us and remind us, I think within our ranks in CMI, that we're about covenantal relationship. And that means that we're committed means that we're committed to each other. If we could settle that, we're committed to each other. Friends, we can work through a whole lot of stuff. But when we're not committed, then I don't think we actually have covenantal relationships. And so covenantal relations are committed. They also, we are submitted. Committed to each other, submitted to each other. Can you imagine if we just submitted to one another, how we would work our stuff out? But when we're not submitted and we're trying to arm wrestle and fight for, no, no, just submit. How can we serve to God together? So covenantal relationship is committed, submitted, we're serving each other. I think if I was, if we had a heart to serve others and serve people, we are actually, and they had the same heart. Can you imagine the things we'd work out? That's covenantal relationship. And then we're about preserving. And maybe this one is overlooked more than others, is that we're not about working stuff out. We get offended, we take off, we don't like people, we spread rumors about, and friends, we've got to be about preserving these relationships. We're going to have eternity together. And here on earth, we need to be preserving and working our thing out, working our stuff out, not getting others to work it out, not getting others on our side, just preserving. Are you still preserving and working hard at your covenantal relationships with people all over the world and certainly in the church that you're in? You know, the Bible gives us pretty specific steps to take when we find that we, we're in conflict with each other. When we find ourselves disagreeing with others in the church, and conflict is going to happen, right? We know that. The question is, how do you deal with it? How do we, what do we do about it? And Jesus gives us some instructions here. Please go with me to the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us these instructions on how we can deal with conflict while walking in love. And I think that's the key, walking in love. So to think conflict's not going to happen is ridiculous. To think that it shouldn't happen is ridiculous because we're all together and we're different and God made us like that. So of course conflict happens. It's going to happen. But we've been taught how to deal with it. I think if we deal with this thing right, friends, we're going to actually be able to stay stronger. We're going to be unified and we're going to get the job done so Jesus can come back. And we're going to have better relationships here on earth 
which I think we've got to do. So Matthew 18, quickly verse 15, it says this. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if, you, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as, as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now I know that many people have taken just that last verse, verse 20, and say, hey, yeah, that means where two or three are gathered in his name, that's where he'll be. I don't believe that's the context in any sense of what he was saying. He's actually talking about agreement. And what Jesus is saying is, when two or three are gathered together in agreement, I'm with them. In other words, if you're not in agreement, I'm not with you. And that's why we've got to work our things out, friends. That's why this is such an essential truth. And that's why I think Jesus made it so plain and so clear on how to deal with these things. I know it's, uh, it can be heated. I understand it can be uncomfortable. I understand that. It takes a whole lot of people involved to get this thing worked out. But it can be if we come back to Scripture and we realize there's some ways of approaching it. So our connection with God affects and governs our relationship with each other. And here's, that's the important point. Our relationship with each other affects our relationship with God. All right. So uh, uh, the way we connect with God affects the way we connect with others. But also the way we connect with others can actually affect the way we connect with God. They inter connected and we can't separate them that's why unity is so important that's why working this stuff out is so important it's important for all of us friends to have right relationships with each other and with people that God's called us to be Matthew chapter 5 in verse 23 to 24 uh, Jesus says if you're offering if you're offering your gift at the altar and there's remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to them and then come back to offer your gift so it's almost like saying we can't we can't have this we can't offer sacrifice and joy to this great God of ours if we've got issues with each other we've got to sort stuff out. I, I trust you see that it's important. Can't just bury our head in the sand and say God work it out. No, we've got to go and deal with this, and it's necessary, friends, for our relationship with God and with each other. And I do believe with the inheritance we've been given as we marching forward into this promises that God still has for us. And so. Let me just highlight this. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether a conflict exists, but rather in our attitude towards it and how we approach handling it. So it's there. It does happen. And it doesn't make us unspiritual if it's happening. It's how we deal with it, whether we are spiritual or unspiritual when it comes to our communities and our churches and, and people around us. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, I think we've make it, we have the makings of a spiritual community. How we handle conflict, that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. We talk about maturity a lot. I believe God's wanting us to be more like Jesus. I believe maturity is the goal for every individual that God has, for every one of us. But you know, friends, the way we can tell whether we're mature or not is how we handle conflict. Immature people handle it badly. Mature people handle it well. So if you want to know if you're mature or if someone's mature, how do you handle conflict? And I think it exposes a whole lot. Conflict can be good. 
as I believe, as we share our ideas, think about what we believe and the way we do things and present our case for our position. This can be done if, and I believe only if, we handle conflicts correctly. What makes or breaks relationships and what makes or breaks churches is what we choose to do in conflict, not because we have it, what we choose to do in it. And I believe we must learn how to walk in love while dealing with conflict. So what does Jesus tell us here? I think it involves three things. We must have firstly the right attitude. <laughs> friends, this is so strategic. And I want to tell you, friends, I've done my utmost in God. I haven't done this perfectly, but to live this out myself. And I've watched people's lives adjust and even people's attitudes when we've come with the right attitude. We, we must have the right attitude when we're dealing with conflict. At the beginning of Matthew 18, Jesus sets the stage for his teaching on resolving conflict and by saying that we are to become as little children. In Matthew 18, verse 1 to 4, it says, At the time of the disciples came at Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, <laughs> right there exposing their hearts. And verse 2, he called out a little child and, and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So that was at the beginning uh, before Jesus introduces the subject of handling conflict. And so it's this picture of humility, friends, this attitude of coming like a child. And, and so Jesus says there we are to humble ourselves like little children. Meaning, I believe, we must approach conflict with humility. To humble means to bring low. To be humble means to bring low, and that is the opposite of what we want to do too many times in conflict. Too many times we seek to exalt ourselves, or to justify ourselves, or to prove that we're right. Think about that. If that's how we're going to go about trying to handle conflict, it will never be sorted out because we're about proving, and we're about justifying and exalting ourselves and proving they're wrong. Friends, there's no point in doing that. There's no way we're going to reconcile. I think if that is how we approach conflict, the conflict only continues to grow. And we've seen that when we are dealing with conflict, Jesus says the goal, please hear this, is reconciliation, not justification. Just think if we change our attitudes and how can I reconcile with you rather than how can I justify I'm right and you're wrong. I've had those conversations where people have come at me to justify and we've not been able to sort out. But if we can come at this place of reconciliation, what can we do to fix this? Friends, if most of the battles won already, if we can come with that attitude. In other words, our hope is to mend the relationship, not to choose sides or declare a winner. We're not looking for a winner here. We're looking for how can we work together and sort the stuff out. If, I, if only one person wins, I believe everybody loses. And so we must ask the Lord to search our hearts before we ever deal with conflict. I believe we must ask ourselves, am I walking in and motivated by love? When I want to deal with something and address something, ask yourself, is this motivated by love. If not, I want to suggest we've got to get our hearts right first. Before we go talk about it, before we address it, get your heart right and then deal with the problem at hand. And I think we must have this right attitude, an attitude of humility, an attitude of love. The second thing is that we must have the right approach. So Jesus talks about our attitude, but also the approach, the way we go about it. Jesus gives us very uh, simple four-step plan on how to handle conflict. A lot of time we make things complicated. We get in the way, we add things, or we just use other things. Or friends, just, let's not complicate something that doesn't need to be complicated. Jesus made it very simple. We would save ourselves much heartache and, and, and would show Jesus to the world much more effectively if we would simply follow the directions Jesus gave us. Here's the four-step plan Jesus gave us. Number one, have a private conversation. <laughs> 
Start there. Go to the person if you have the problem with the person. Man, friends, I, I don't have to state the obvious, but let me anyway and say how often we go to everyone but the person. Even if we go to our spouses, I think it's wrong. Even if we go to our family or someone else, or even the pastor before the person, I believe we've been unbiblical and right there, the issue is going to get worse. But the, Jesus told us, go to that person, go privately and have a private conversation with them. This is where most often miss the chance of reconciliation, reconciliation right off the bat. What does Jesus say? Go to that person who sinned against you. Can I say, when someone comes to you with a problem about another person, we can sort this out by making sure they've talked to that other person first. I challenge you and I dare you to do that. I do that all the time. People say, I've got this problem with that. I say, have you been to that person? No, then I don't want to hear about it. Go talk to them. And friends, you know what I realize? Most often they don't come back to me because they go to that person and they sort it out. That's what Jesus told us to do. If not, don't let them gossip to you, but encourage them to talk to that person. Make sure they go to that person. Not even tell you before they go. Go to that person. Please do that. If they call you, ask them, have you spoken to them? No, then don't talk to me until you've spoken to them. And then check with that person that they've spoken to them before they come back. Because honestly, friends, we just want to be biblical. We want to do this right. We've got to stop this stuff. We've got to put out these fires. We've got to get on with the mandate God's given us. We can't trip each other over this. Let's get back to the things God's told us what to do. This is where Jesus said, start. Jesus tells us to have a private conversation with the person we need to have that conversation with. How? I think immediately. I think the sooner the better. Don't put it off because I think conflict, if it's weeks or months, it actually will continue to grow and it's not going away. So the sooner the better. If there's an issue, deal with it. Get in touch straight away and deal with it. I know people say we need to do it face to face. Well, that's ideal and that's helpful. But if you don't have that moment, then get on the phone and sort it out. But don't post about it. Don't send messages or texts or email. Call that person or hopefully face to face. But immediately, friends. Because uh, I think the offense tends to get blown out of proportion the longer we wait to address it. Another thing is to try, as I just said, try and meet face to face. I mean, that's the ideal right there. Face to face, genuine heart and understanding. Jesus said, go and show them their fault. Go to them and show them their fault. Anything less than a face to face conversation places a barrier between people involved. In saying that, I know it's not always practical, then get on the phone, but don't wait for six months till you can see that person. Get on the phone and work it out. I think we've worked out a lot of stuff on the phone because people catch your heart, not through email, through text, but through the phone call or FaceTime or something, but immediately, all right, and face to face. Then it's important to affirm the relationship. I really do believe it. We can do so much if we just affirm what we've got rather than say, hey, I've got this issue with you. Rather go and affirm our relationship. Say, hey man, I believe in what we're doing. I believe in you. I'm not attacking you. I want this thing to be sorted out because I love what we've got together. Imagine just affirming what you have, how it, it kind of uh, de-escalates all the attacks. And, and friends, I want to tell you, you hardly see this happening anymore. And we've got to come back to scripture and do this. Let the person know that you're seeking to resolve the conflict. I want to work this out. Not I want to prove you wrong and you've hurt me. I want to see this work out. That's what Jesus is about. That's what he told us to do. So let's go and do that. We don't want to sign blame. I want to say, let the person know up front how much they mean to you. Make sure and not low wind in their ears. You better have that heart of, I want this to work and God give me the heart. So when I go speak to them, I'm not just complimenting them. I'm meaning it from my heart. It's also important to make observations and not accusations. Our friends, I want to tell you how many people come and say and accuse me rather than observed. If they said to me, Tyron, I've seen this and it looks like you did this. It's so much easier than to say, you did this and I'm accusing you of it. 
it's, uh, it's harder to respond when you're accused rather than if people observe and say, hey, I've observed this and I want to just kind of work it out. What does it mean? And praise again, simple truths, but we're not seeing it play out right now. And I think we can and we should and we need to come back to it. Meaning address that that means I think address the action that have occurred rather than point a finger or attacking their character. That's helpful. Can I also say simple things? I'm trying to be as practical as I can. Use I statements instead of you statements. In other words, I've observed this rather than you did this to me. Again, friends, you say, Tyron, this is a bit of play on words. No, no, friends, this is the attitude I think we've got to come back to if we're going to genuinely reconcile and work stuff out. All stuff. So the church doesn't have to keep splitting. And people keep walking away and we're just kind of misrepresenting Jesus to our world. These are simple truths. Come back. Think about that. Don't come at people. Use the I statements rather than you statements. I try and do this and I've done this a lot. And I think I've watched literally people's lives and even their attitudes change. And we've been able to reconcile because we've taken this approach. Guess what? It works. Why? Because it's Jesus' way of how to handle these things. I f- rather say, I feel that you did me wrong is better than you are a liar or whatever else it is you said. Don't. You don't care about anyone but yourself. That's probably not a good way either. So again, friends, just, uh, just wisdom around this. Can I also say then address what you've seen, perceived and felt? So this is what I've seen, this is what I've perceived, and this is what I've felt, rather than, you did this to me. Rather, address what you've seen, how you perceived it, and how you felt. Don't accuse and put somebody on the defensive. Very hard to win them over when they're having to defend themselves. Take ownership of your feelings. When you have this conversation, make sure that you got the facts uh, before you kind of offload to people. After you make, a, uh, make your observation, can I... Ask us, please, then, to allow the other person to respond. Uh, how many guys have taken me on and then not allowed me to respond? Just offload it and taken off. How about you present how you felt and give me an option to at least be able to respond if I need to or want to, but most don't even give me that opportunity. There's no way of reconciling if you ask, challenge, and tell someone and don't let them respond to actually what they were really trying. You know, here's what I've learned is most people treat, judge us by our actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. And so if we could just actually come back to our intentions were not that, even if that's what our actions perceived, and we can sort that out very quickly. And I think that's half the battle already won. So let people respond. There are many things. There may be things that you've misunderstood or been unaware of in the why, why things happen. And I believe nine out of ten times, that's where the problem lies. When other, the other person is responding, can I say, keep your ears open and your mouth shut? <laughs> Listen to what they say. As you want to be heard, let them rather than you keep fighting and just be quiet. Listen. Try listen with intention to say, okay, I want to see it from your perspective. Because that, I believe, is so helpful. Don't interrupt them and let them finish. Can I also say try to promote resolution? The point is not to fight, not to win or to prove someone wrong. The point is how do we restore trust and harmony? So how do we fix this? How can I or you, how do we fix this? How can we resolve this? The most, most conflicts can be resolved, I think, at this stage right here. If we will have the courage and care enough about that person to take the first step. But what if the offender doesn't want to discuss it or doesn't want to make the relationship right? Well, then Jesus gives us another step. Then we call to include someone else. Then and only then. After we've been through this, we've tried to work it out, it's still not resolved, can't be resolved. Then the Bible says, Jesus says, get someone else involved. Take a witness. These witnesses, can I say, are there for the same reason of what we just discussed. They are there. 
they are to go in the first step to bring reconciliation. All right. So they're not there to take your side or their side. They're there. So be careful who you're choosing. No people on your side. Rather, how can we bring reconciliation? It's not a gang up on the person. In fact, we should involve, I think, others only when going alone did not bring a healing. And this other person, I believe, should be someone who can help keep emotions in check, help clarify the issues as we work together for reconciliation. So first, have a private conversation. Second, take someone who might help resolve the disagreement. And then again, if that doesn't bring resolution, then Jesus gives us a third step. One that is the most drastic is involved or taken to the church. Now, it doesn't mean you get up in the pulpit on Sunday and ask, can I use your forum and tell everyone? I believe what he's saying there. Notice he doesn't make say, he does not specifically say, make it, uh, yeah, I've said that, make an announcement from the pulpit. In some extreme cases, I guess that has to come eventually, uh, especially if it's continual confirmed, unconfessed sin with a church leader. But I believe the first step here is to gather some wise folk from the church and let them hear both sides. So again, try to help work out reconciliation. Okay, so if you've had the individual private conversation, brought one another person, brought the same wise folk in again, brought in some wise folk again for the church, what if that doesn't work? Well, sadly, let's be real, we live in a world that is not perfect. Some conflicts will happen and they will not be resolved. And that and only then, fourth step, is where Jesus says, break off the relationship with them. And again, friends, I don't believe you should get rid of them and write them off, but break off your relationship. You cannot reach an agreement or even agree to disagree, which I think most people can. But if you then have to be called for separation, Jesus said, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. It doesn't mean treat them like a scoundrel. <laughs> how, do you feel, how did Jesus feel about pagans and tax collectors? Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors. He walked in love with them in hope of winning them over. And so if you have someone you refuse to be reconciled to, ask yourself these questions. Do I long to be reconciled? Do I still act in love with this person? Um, if so, then you're doing your part. It's now up to that other person. And conflict does happen. And I believe we need to learn how to handle dealing with conflict while walking in love. So I think have the right attitude. And then we also need to have the right approach, which we've just talked about. Thirdly, Jesus shows us the result, the result will be the right atmosphere. And that's what I want to say. Why we want reconciliation is actually to bring the right atmosphere. All right. And so when we deal with conflict appropriately, biblically and right, how Jesus taught us to, we see positive results, friends, in our lives and in our churches. And we've seen that in history and certainly in our lives and in our own ministry. But we've got to see more of this because that's what we want. The right atmosphere when we handle this right. We see agreement. Jesus said, again, I tell you, if two or three on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for you in my Father's name. Agreement is what we're looking for. Let's get to a place of the atmosphere where we're in agreement. And that's where God says, I'm with you. Jesus says, I'm with those or two or three are gathered there. I'm with them in agreement. So we need agreement. And that commands the blessing of God. We'll see his presence. Jesus says again, for where, in verse 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there I'm with them. It said that Leonardo da Vinci, I love this, when painting the Last Supper, painted Judas' face as the face of someone with whom he was angry. But, when he, but he found that he could not paint the face of Jesus until he changed the face of Judas. In other words, he couldn't have this angry picture or face of Judas because it would misrepresent the heart of Jesus. And so he had to change that and then he could paint Jesus' face. And 
And I think that's a great picture. We can't do things of Jesus if we are holding grudges against someone. Bitterness and resentment cause us to be unfruitful. And I want to just land with these truths. There's scriptures that show us, I could pick many, but stories in the Bible where there was unforgiveness or bitterness or hurt that forced people to actually not be fruitful. You know that if we live in disagreement and hurt and issue and carry bitterness and resentment, we actually we stop being fruitful. And that's why we've got to deal with this nonstop. 2 Samuel 6, 16 to 23. Great text there. And the ark was being brought back to Jerusalem. Great story. And there's this big celebration happening. And David was dancing with all his might. And he took off all his clothes. And he, he was being undignified before the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 16 that Michal, his, his wife, saw this from the window. She saw him doing this in front of the people. And it says, she despised him in her heart. And in verse 23, it says that Michal was barren until the day she died. I do believe, friends, that if we are carrying this issue, and I'm not just spoken, I'm saying spiritually here, if we don't even have to say things, if we're carrying issues in our heart and offenses and taking these uh, uh, despising in our hearts and not even saying anything, we can lose our fruit. We can stop being fruitful. And that's why we've got to be dealing with these things. And what about Jesus in Mark chapter 6, verse 3 to 6, where he talks about a prophet without honor. They said, isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And it says, and they took offense by who they recognized Jesus to be. And it says in verse 5, he could, do, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on them. A few of them and a few sick were healed. And it says, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. They took offense because they recognized this is Jesus of Nazareth. And because of their offense, he could do very little miracles there. And it actually says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Why? Because offense moves to lack of faith. We begin to lose faith when we carry offense. And God can't do a whole lot when that's happening. So I trust you understand the need to sort stuff out and not pretend it's not there. And just hold grudges and hold issues. Deal with this stuff. Get it sorted out so we can see miracles. God doing what he said he's going to do. Jesus operating in the way he wants us to. He wants to. In, in that, in Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked. So at the end of all this teaching of what we just heard, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. So Jesus talks on how to handle these issues we just read. And now Peter's like, okay, I got this, Lord. Do I have to kind of forgive my brother up to seven times? In verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. In other words, it's not to be counted. You just keep on all day, every day forgiving. And then he goes on, he says, Therefore, in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that they had be sold and repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay him back. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed 
and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should, be pay, uh, should pay back all that he owed. Verse 35 of Matthew 18, Jesus said, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You cannot have forgiveness if you don't forgive others. God can't forgive us if we won't forgive others. And so friends, I do believe that directly. God forgive me as I forgive others. Forgive us. Jesus taught us how to pray. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. And so friends, basic truth, good truth. Jesus taught us simplicity. And my challenge to you and to I is that we live this out day in and day out. And as conflict happens and continues to happen, we sort it out. We do it biblically. We do it right. And I do then believe the church will be united. We'll be way stronger than the world that's divided. And also we'll see the blessing and commanded blessing of God because we're not pretending, we're not playing games, we're not dividing, we're not splitting. We're united and we're sorting our stuff out as we continue to take our inheritance together. So please, friends, take these truths again. Let's live them out. I'm doing my best to do that. I'm asking you, would you do that? Would you teach around these truths again? Show people, not in light of what's happening right now, but for the eternal, the, the whole, all our lives here on earth, let's work our stuff out. We are the bride of Christ with the, the army together. We need each other and we're uh, the family who works their stuff out. God bless you. Take care. Thanks.